HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. This week on Meet and 3, we rethink surplus by exploring how innovators are promoting sharing mindsets and responding to excess in creative ways. The whole life cycle of food would be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter behind China and the United States if it were a country. You know, in the age of COVID, where a lot of those institutional processors did grind to a halt and a lot of farms had to dump milk in Pennsylvania, even while supermarket cases were, were bare, the organic market stayed strong. They source all these ingredients, they do all of this work, and then they just boil it for a few minutes and then they throw it away. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Jing Gao, founder of Fly by Jing, the spice and condiment company with a true cult following on a mission to bring premium, natural, uncensored Chinese flavors to the table. Jing is a renowned expert on Chinese cuisine, an award-winning restaurateur, and her work has been featured in the New York Times, BBC, CNN, The Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Fortune, and more, but there's so many that it's like a very long list. Um, Jing, um, I'm so happy that you're here and thank you so much for coming on In the Sauce. Thank you so much for having me and I'm super excited to chat with you. Yay. Um, So we always start off with a little history um, and, and I think it's always really interesting kind of hearing where people like what what kind of kids people were like and where they grew up. And and it always, you know, as it does, it always informs the companies that they build and, and the professions that they choose or end up kind of falling into a little bit. But with yours, I feel like it's especially relevant and sort of um, pertinent in the sense that you have built such a personal company um, and your story is is really fascinating. So I'd love to just hear 
your history, where you grew up, you know, all of the different places and things. Um, so take it away. Great. Um, yeah, I, you're right. Like it's my personal, um, story is so intertwined with, with the, um, building of my brand. And, um, so I'll start at the beginning. I was born in Chengdu, which is the capital city of Sichuan province in China. And it is widely known in China to be like the food capital Mm. and Sichuan food is one of the great um, regional cuisines in China and um, is known for flavor um, above everything else. There's so many different flavor profiles that the chefs are famous for having created and uh, Chengdu kind of is the epicenter of all of that. But I didn't know any of that when I was born and I um, <laughs> moved to Europe with my family. Um, I was an only child. My dad was a professor um, in nuclear physics. Mm. And we moved with his job um, quite frequently, starting from when I was about five years old, all the way until almost high school. So we were in Germany, England, Austria, France, Italy, Canada, um, at probably four different cities in Canada. And I, you know, it was a very unique um, childhood. I definitely felt a lot of kind of this... um, sense of not belonging anywhere Mm -hmm. really and um needing to code switch constantly um between home and school and you know from culture to culture um you know even learning entirely new languages and new cultures and so it was definitely um kind of a wild um upbringing and I didn't really realize how much it impacted me until much later in life. Mm -hmm. Um, I had at the age of seven um, adopted a nickname Jenny, which um, I chose because, you know, kids at school couldn't pronounce my my birth name, Jing. Right. And, you know, was made fun of. And so I was like, how do I just blend in and disappear? (laughs) And Jenny was the name that I I chose for myself. So um, I didn't actually... um, finally become comfortable with reclaiming my birth name until Mm -hmm. um, last year at the age of 33. That's wild. So, um, yeah. And, you know, so it led me to eventually to Canada. I went to school there. I went to university and then uh, business school. And um, in my 20s, I found myself in Asia with kind of an exchange semester at my business school and then a job opportunity, which brought me there. Um, Mm -hmm. I was working in tech at the time and I was in Beijing, um, Singapore, and then Shanghai, um, where I basically lived for about 10 years um, up until I moved to LA um, two years ago. So that time in Asia was really pivotal Um, I was just there because of a job, but what I, what, um, surprised me was just how, how disconnected, I guess I had become from my cultural identity and from who I was at the core. And when I was there, I started to kind of reconnect with it and started to peel back some of the layers. Um, and one of the ways that I was able to do so was through the food and the food culture. And that really, um, I didn't expect because I, I don't think I was ever, you know, I never would have considered myself a foodie growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. And um, but being in China, you can't help it 
but to become one because the right. food is just so incredible. And there's so much um, depth and um, history to this 5,000 year cuisine. Yeah. And, you know, it's so complex. Um, I mentioned Sichuan cuisine, but there's like so many more because China is really the size of a continent. And yeah. so it varies as much as, you know, uh, the cuisines between countries do in, in, in Europe, if you can imagine, like the difference between French yeah. cuisine and German cuisine. Right, or right? even and French so, Southern, you know, coastal exactly. cuisine. One question exactly. I have that, I, that I'm always kind of curious about is, you know, when you talk about code switching, you know, I, told, I understand that, you know, going from school to home. Did you, did you also, like, what was home like from a cuisine perspective? Like, were you growing up and saying, I just want to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and your family was still, you know, cooking, you know, traditional, you know, Chinese cuisine or what, you know, I've heard different, you know, everyone had different experiences. So I'm just kind of curious Mm. about yours. Yeah. I mean, I never went to school in the United States and I do feel like, um, you know, growing up in Europe and in Canada was a little bit different. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Canada in particular, I was very, um, I feel very lucky to have, you know, spent the majority of my childhood there because it was just so so much more of a diverse place. Yeah. And so um, I actually don't remember what it was like, you know, in Germany and Austria and and England where I was often the only, you know, Chinese kid, um, Mm -hmm. probably because... It's just my brain has like blocked it out. Yep. <laughs> but um, but in Canada, you know, it felt like um, there was just a lot more diversity, and I was I was um, grateful for that. Right. Got it. So when you when you moved um, and when you landed in Shanghai, is that when you started your blog? Like, is that because mm-hmm. it sounds like you went on, you kind of reconnected with your roots a little bit through food, and then yeah. was your blog a way of sharing that? Yeah, exactly. So when I was there uh, initially on exchange, um, I had found this like food tour company um, run by a Chinese Malaysian woman who um, was doing these tours all over, you know, China. And so through my work with her, I started to, you know, I was doing the tours for her. And of course, like I was learning so much mm-hmm. about the cuisine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I started blogging um, the you know, at the time, this was back in 2010, there was really not much on the internet in terms of like, you know, Chinese food that was in English. Right. And um, so the blog kind of started taking off. And so then when celebrity chefs would come to China to film their shows, they would often hit me up and I would like be their on screen guide or, mm-hmm, you know, help mm-hmm. them figure out where to go eat and all that stuff. So um, that kind of led to more and more involvement in the kind of the food media world. Right. The name Jing Theory is so, it's very catchy. Like, it's just a really good name. So was that, I mean, and I read something, the word, I mean, your name means something. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, I always like the, the sound of Jing Theory, but so yeah. Jing is actually, yeah, so it's my first name. My middle name in Chinese is Xuan, uh, X-U-A-N, Xuan, which mm-hmm. in Chinese is... Um, it, it means a number of things. Most Chinese characters have many different meanings, um, mm-hmm. but Xuan is uh, kind of, um, it was given to me by my dad. It means like profound, um, uh, 
kind of like dark profound matter <laughs> it's uh-huh. a very like meta- metaphysical yeah. term but it also is a homonym for string string uh of string oh, theory which is it. what my dad studied so right i just kind of put the two together <laughs> very cool no it's very very cool so you be- you basically became sort of this like food personality food media um you know blogger kind of personality and did that then segue into a restaurant yeah exactly uh well it didn't exactly segue into a restaurant but (laughs) it did lead me to leaving my job so at the time I was working for a tech company um a, a U.S. tech company actually and um, out of their office in Shanghai and it just became more and more clear to me that I needed to be um, dedicating my time to Chinese food. Um, right. I didn't know exactly in what capacity at the time, but I um, I just knew that I needed to leave my day job. So right. I did that and you know took that risk. And um, not long after that, I um, I had the opportunity to you know to um, open a restaurant, and it wasn't something that um, I had really you know, it kind of just, it kind of just the opportunity presented itself and mm-hmm. I had lots of ideas. Mm-hmm. And, um, one of them was that I was super inspired at the time by sweet green and, you know, Chipotle model, like fast casual. Um, and I wasn't seeing that in Shanghai mm-hmm. as much. Um, it was still kind of uh, like fast casual was still very nascent there at the time. So right. I wanted to marry that model with, um, with, you know, regional Chinese cuisine. Mm-hmm. So um, at the time in Shanghai, it seemed like, you know, a lot of the cool new restaurants were um, Western or like salad places. And I just was like, there's so much to celebrate within Chinese regional, you know, uh, cuisines that, you know, why go outside of that? So right. um, I founded a restaurant called Taoism, which um, was a ode to... Another you know, good different. name. You're good. You're good. <laughs> Thank you. No, it's like, it's like some people are, you know, are good at playing guitar and some people are really good at names. Like you're really good at names. So that yeah, that's a fun you. one. Okay. Sorry to yeah. interrupt. So, so yeah, that came from just like, like Taoism. So the way yeah. of the bow. Yes. I, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Got that. <laughs> um, so yeah, and that was you know uh, surprise surprise. It was uh, you know different types of bows and uh-huh. also like noodle bowls and and other things that you can kind of mix and match in a in a fast casual way. So um, so yeah, that that was the first business in food, and it was it's you know it um, was quite popular. Um, it you know got a bunch of yeah. awards. It was um, you know locally and also internationally covered in the media. Um, but that process was, you know, I mean, it was extre- it's extremely difficult to operate a restaurant, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, um, you know, it, it was something I realized that I, it wasn't my calling to, to right. operate restaurants. But what I loved about that experience was the, um, the, the uh, you know, the, the product creation, like the, mm-hmm. creating these flavors, 
um, you know, creating products that people loved and also, you know, creating a brand that people connected to and also yeah. the storytelling aspect yeah. of it. So that was kind of like, okay, maybe it's not in restaurants, but what, what else? But there's something here. Even more people. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's actually, that's weird how similar that is. Um, did you think at that time you were going to stay in Shanghai forever? Like, A, I'm just picturing an only child you know, I, I, I have experienced being an only child and I know that that's lonely when you have, you know, a place that you stay for years and years. And I can only imagine moving around that often. And then on top of that, you know, feeling this sort of, you know, otherness and not fitting in. Um, were you longing for a place to put down roots and stay? And did at that time you think that was gonna be in China? Um, I, I think there was a part of me that always knew that I was there for um, a temporary, right. you know, period of time. I think I was there to, to learn as much as I could about myself, about, mm-hmm. you know, the culture and, um, but I knew that culturally, you know, people like me, third culture kids, like yeah. kind of sit in a weird space yeah. where you feel like you don't belong, um, sometimes anywhere. Anywhere. Right? Yeah. Um, but, um, I don't know. I think, you know, I've obviously also like lived in so many different places and literally moved pretty much every year of my life. And yeah. so Shanghai is actually a place where I've stayed the longest, um, I think without moving. And I did feel very, um, it's a, China is like a really, um, you know, incredible place of really fast paced change and living in Shanghai, um, in the time period that I did, um, it was a really unique time period where as an expat, um, you know, someone who looked like me as well, you know, some, there, there are certain ways you can move in the, in the country where you, um, you might have certain advantages, you know, with being able to speak Chinese and mm-hmm. being able to blend in, yeah, but sure. also there's the advantage of having a foreign passport and being mm-hmm. able to leave whenever I wanted. And, mm-hmm. you know, so there were challenges to being an expat in China, but there were also incredible opportunities. Right. And so I think I always knew that I'm here for as long as the opportunities um, can be afforded to me, but um, that uh, that eventually I'm I might want to you know take that somewhere else right. and you know so I'm here now in the U S. which a lot of people assume I'm Chinese American, but I've never actually lived in the U S. until right. until two years ago. Well, we um, can talk about that experience also. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I want to get back because I I I'm picturing you sort of like when realizing that the restaurant sort of world isn't for you, I have a similar realization. There are incredible operators out there and it's like they're calling for sure. But that I can see you kind of like pulling the strings out of the part of it that you loved and, mm-hmm. and finding, you know, those threads. And I heard like, you know, brand and storyteller and products and flavor. And is that, did did that kind of give birth to the, you know, the chili crisp product as we know it now? Like, was that the beginning of that or was there sort of an yeah. in-between step? Yeah, well, there was an in-between step, but that was definitely um, the the transition point. So mm-hmm. what um, 
happened was I actually had a, um, you know, I learned a lot of lessons building that restaurant. And one of the most important ones was who to not partner with mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the importance of choosing your partners wisely. And, you know, yeah. at the time I was in my mid twenties, my first business, I had no idea what I was doing and I just trusted very easily. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, kind of the financial partner that I'd worked with turned out to be not such a great great, great partner at all. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it was kind of a shock, um, when that kind of partnership dissolved and, um, you know, the restaurant closed not long after. Um, but I, but it had a good, you know, kind of two year run. And at that point I found myself, you know, I think I was like 27 and just like, what do I do now? Right. You know? and right. So I was really heartbroken because I poured so much of myself yeah. into this restaurant and it was my identity for so mm-hmm. long. And um, I did the only thing that I knew to do at the time, which was really to just like go back to to my roots and really just yep. like what, you know, where it all started. So I went to Chengdu and I studied with um, a really famous chef there who's one of the greatest living Chinese chefs. And I just went and stashed in his kitchen for for a summer. And mm-hmm. I was like really just trying to figure out my next move, but also really like foundationally kind of build up my knowledge about Sichuan cuisine yeah. um, because it was my earliest memory of of flavor of food was, you know, visiting my grandparents in, in Sichuan and eating kind of the street food, the food in these restaurants called fly restaurants. Yeah. I read that. Which, I had, I mean, yeah. I had, I had so much fun learning everything, just reading everything <laughs> I could get my hands on that you wrote. So this is, this is so cool. Tell us about yeah, the fly so restaurants. Yeah. The f- Fly restaurants are really an amazing aspect of Sichuan's, or specifically of Chengdu's um, food culture. It is uh, <clears throat> it is these um, hole in the wall restaurants that are so um, good and so delicious and flavored <laughs> that they draw people like flies. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of like this Chengdu locals. Um, you know, it shows their sense of humor. They're calling themselves the flies. It's kind of cheeky. Right. Um, and it, it refers to the people in Chengdu's, their obsession with flavor above everything else. Mm-hmm. Right. So it doesn't matter what the um, what the atmosphere is, how, yeah. you know, how clean it looks, like where you're sitting. It is really just about flavor. And yeah. it's like the... Uh, being united in that flavor and just, you know, it's kind of a socioeconomic equalizer in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And everybody just has their favorites around the around the city. And these are often, you know, worn down kind mm-hmm. of street food style, mom and pop run tiny, tiny places, um, which we know, you know, is everywhere in the world. That's where you get the best food. Totally. But yeah. Um, in in Chengdu, you know, it's like kind of just taken so seriously to like the end <laughs> level. And so I was um, for me, that was my earliest food memories. And so I was just really obsessed with these places, these fly restaurants. And um, I, you know, was also learning so much about ingredients and the importance of ingredients in mm-hmm. what you make. And the same recipe made with different types of ingredients 
uh, even different grades, you know, of the same ingredient will yep. render completely different results. Mm-hmm. And so um, starting to build relationships with some of these suppliers, some of some of these, you know, ingredients were so rare that even within China, you know, it's really hard to find and you really have to be in the know, build those relationships go into the depth of like the forests and, yeah. you know, to like, you know, secure. Um, and, and so I saw this chef doing these things and, and um, that was kind of like, you know, all of this information was informing um, what I wanted to do next, which I was still trying to figure out um, what my contribution was going to be mm-hmm. to Sichuan cuisine, because I wasn't just there to like reproduce Um, I wanted to, you know, figure out how, you know, there's clearly a disconnect between um, food in China and food, you know, Chinese food in the West. Yeah. And um, but, you know, being in Chengdu and seeing kind of the food culture evolve and shift. And it was really exciting to watch um, some of these new school fly restaurants pop up and, you know, run by young people and Mm -hmm. how they were being playful with the cuisine and how these flavors weren't bound to any kind of rules, you know, but were being um, innovated upon. And I thought that was, that's the spirit of of Sichuan cuisine. And that's um, how it's always been Mm because Sichuan food has evolved and shifted many times over over the centuries, um, even 200 years ago, the chili pepper hadn't been introduced to the to the province yet. Right. And wow. so yeah. the cuisine has shifted so many times. And so, you know, that's what I was seeing on the ground. And yet, you know, following along news about Chinese food in the West, it just seemed like there was this preoccupation with, you know, there's a lot of debate and like trying to keep Chinese cuisine almost stagnant, yeah. like this conversation about you know, what's authentic, what's not like, Mm -hmm. it can only be authentic if if it's cheap, or if it's like Mm -hmm. this, or that. And I felt like those were um, not productive. um, And and we're acting to actually keep it from uh, growing and evolving Evolving. and staying alive. And so, um, so my question to myself was, how do I want to, you know, what's my role here? And um, what makes sense for me? Because, you know, you know, like I can only express and create uh, what comes out of my own experience. Right. Right. And so after, you know, I was rooted in Chengdu, but I'd grown up so many places and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, someone who um, is a citizen of the world. And so like, what does that mean in terms of my, my, um, what I produce? And so I started just by cooking and, um, playing around with flavors, but really, you know, digging and, and using those high quality ingredients that I had, you know, learned about and built relationships with. And um, so in some ways, it is more rooted in, um, in a place and time than, than, than anything else. But it was also, um, you know, kind of applied in new ways, like right. some of these flavor bases, I was, you know, putting to new uses and uh, combining it with different ingredients than they would normally be combined with. And so I started by um, running a supper club back in Shanghai, where I was doing these like weekly dinners um, in my studio. And that sort of to that started to take on a life of its own. Right. And I started doing these pop-up dinners um, all over the world. And um, that's kind of the origin of Fly by Jing. Right. And I mean, it's, it's 
it's like the perfect expression of you, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, you're going around the world, you know, I can picture it, you know, and it's, and I mean, not everyone's comfortable going all around the world. Right. But you had already Mm -hmm. done that and bringing something with you, um, and sharing it, but also, you know, um, not tethered. It sounds like, you know, in a way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what was great about me doing these pop-ups was that everywhere I went, I was, you know, cooking for people and seeing their instant feedback Mm -hmm. and, you know, their eyes widen when they tasted some of these flavor profiles that they'd never had. And, and then the fact that they had never heard of some of these ingredients or, you know, under or, or knew about any of these nuances in citron cuisine and, Um, And of course, everywhere I went, I had to carry suitcases of ingredients with me (laughs) because they were unavailable. Right. And so clearly there was a disconnect and there was an opportunity there. And so um, I started to kind of like, you know, think about, um, well, these flavor bases that I was creating for my dishes, a lot of them, you know, were sauce bases. Yeah. And so uh, in Shanghai, I actually started to bottle some of these Mm -hmm. um, sauces and so that was kind of the beginning the of beginning. our current line the chili crisp right. the jong sauce and the mala spice mix yeah okay we're gonna take a little break and then we're gonna come back and hear the launch story and everything that happened since and try to fit it into a half an hour because i really <laughs> feel like i'd like to just do this for two and a half more hours but i think amanda <laughs> might get a little irritated okay we'll be right back Just Egg is now the fastest growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based consumers in your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st slash hrn. That's ju.st slash hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier with no cholesterol and less saturated fat. And it's more sustainable. Just egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions most importantly it's delicious for our listeners who operate a food service establishment you can get a sample for free head to ju.st slash hrn that's ju.st slash hrn just egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu it's available as a liquid scramble Great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also a frozen pre-baked folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres calls Just Egg mind-blowing, and Bon Appetit says, It's so good, I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn. I'm back with Jing Gao, founder of Fly by Jing. Um, okay, so I know that you went to Expo West in 2018. And for, I think, the majority of people listening, because this is a show that I don't think people listen to 
if they're not interested in sort of the consumer packaged good world, I mean, you're welcome to listen if you aren't, but it's, it's kind of wonky in that way. Um, and Expo West, you know, is this, is this, uh, natural quote unquote food, quote unquote trade show that's been around since, you know, I think the seventies that used to sort of be just like people who made their, you know, sauerkraut and their, you know, kombucha, um, in their garage. And, and it was a small show for, um, people to sort of get into natural food co-ops um, all over the country. And, to, and then it became kind of this insane thing. Um, and so I'm just, what was the, why did you go in 2018? And what was your impression of, of it? I mean, the Anaheim Pavilion with, I, I don't even know how many uh, dozens of thousands of people there with booths. And, you know, I, I've always wanted to do like a mockumentary of Expo West, like a Spinal Tap version, where <laughs> I have a booth that's selling air. Like li- that's my that's like my idea for for a movie. Like it's like, and people come to the booth, and I'm like, do you feel it? It makes you like glow, and it makes you look younger, and it's got all these like cool things that make you smart, and and like, and it's air, which you know is my little commentary on. Uh, the industry to some extent, but I'm curious about your thoughts and, and why did you go and what, and what, what did you hope to get out of it and what did you get out of it? Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's probably, there's like companies that I've seen there that were selling like oxygenated something. So oh, yeah, like, for that's sure. probably not so far. No, exactly. Um, so I was, so at the time I was already selling my sauce in Shanghai, but mm-hmm. you know, just like very small batches to local shops and um, to friends and family. And I um, was, you know, I, 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 I still do, but like, I mean, not, not in the last year, I used to travel a lot. And so, mm-hmm. you know, every year I would like visit friends um, in North America or like all over. And um, there was a friend of mine who also, um, she like had a healthy smoothie company. Mm-hmm. And so she was, I think she might've told me about um, Expo West. And I kind of, you know, we were both in uh, California around the, around that time. And so we both registered and I just was like, you know, I mean, it's for, for anyone who's interested in food, Expo West is like, you know, going, it's like, uh, you're just like a kid in a candy shop, right? Mm-hmm. There's just so much going on and so many samples to, to <laughs> have. And, um, and I was like, just fascinated with, with packaged food and, um, and what that, you know, the evolution of that looked like in the U S <clears throat> and I, you know, spent several days there and yeah, there were thousands of stalls and, um, I, just remember being at the end of it, like, you know, cause, cause you, you eat so many of these samples yeah. and, um, and, uh, after like three days of eating these samples, I just had this serious craving for Asian food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, wait, why, why do I have such a serious craving just for like, you know, noodles or something like mm-hmm. that? And it was like, because I haven't tasted anything mm-hmm. that had like those flavors this mm-hmm. entire time. And that's when I was like, oh, wait, like I could probably only count on less than like one hand how many, um, you know, Asian food brands there were. And that seemed like, I mean, when that dawned on me, it was really shocking because yeah. 
it's 2018. And, you know, clearly the U.S. is more diverse than that. And also just from kind of industry things I was reading, like all of the um, a lot of the growth um, that was going to come from natural food industry was going to be coming from, you know, diverse, like multicultural mm-hmm. kind of um, options. And so given that information, I was really surprised that there wasn't more representation um, domestically in the U.S. So right. I <clears throat> that was kind of the the um, I, I think I had already been thinking about launching the business in the U.S. Right. Mainly because, like I mentioned, um, one of the biggest goals I had ever since the beginning, you know, 10 years ago when I started the food blog was really to shine light on Chinese cuisine and mm-hmm. to um, illuminate people on like kind of the, the the complexity, the history and the heritage. And, you know, I felt like, you know, not only was that information not known in the West, it was actively, um, you know, being judged and there was active prejudice against Chinese cuisine yep. for a number of reasons. And so I knew that, um, and having worked in food media and, and you know, through blogging and stuff and, and writing for magazines, I knew that like US media does um, influence a lot of culture at large globally. Yeah. And so um, to, to create change, I wanted to start uh, basically, you know, where, where it matters the most to, to change people's minds. Right. And so, um, you know, I chose the U S and so at the time, um, you know, but being Canadian, never having lived in the U S I had really no idea kind of how to go about it. And so right. I think going to Expo West, having had that experience, it gave me the confidence that, you know, I think, I think this is definitely a sign that I need to do this and I'm mm-hmm. going to do it by dipping my toes in it first and through a Kickstarter. Amazing. So that was when I launched the Kickstarter. Amazing. And did you move to LA around the same time? So I launched the Kickstarter when I was still in Shanghai, but mm-hmm. I was already uh, making plans to move to the US. Right. Um, <clears throat> but I, I had to, you know figure out the manufacturing and the supply chain, which was a whole other saga. And um, so it took me a few months um, to to get that kind of sorted out before I moved to L.A. um, at the end of that year. I mean, we could go in two different directions right now. We could go into the supply chain direction because I was reading, I think, a blog you wrote at the very beginning and you were talking about you know, the same issues we have when you don't have something that's just like blended into a, into a slurry and then pumped into a thing and you have particulates and you have, you want to have the right amount of, you know, liquid to the right amount of solid in each thing. It just is very complicated regardless of what those components are. And then you had the additional sort of complications of, you know, producing something in a, different place from, you know, where you are selling it. Like there are just, there's so many, there's so many pieces here, but I guess I'll just ask you like, what's your, what's your, if you had to sort of just give your biggest sort of nugget of advice or wisdom regarding a complicated supply chain to people that are listening, who are thinking about making a product or who are making a product and they just keep hitting their head against the wall. Like, I know it's hard to narrow it down to one, but what would you take out of that experience? Just specifically. Yeah. Um, 
I would say, you know, for in my case, it was really about knowing your why and then sticking to your gut. Mm -hmm. So, um, or, or just sticking to your principles, right? right. So, um, the knowing your why is important because, you know, from day one, um, I knew exactly what I was doing this for. It was mm -hmm. to shift people's, you know, false perceptions around Chinese food and um, demonstrate what it really can be, right? And so being um, so ingrained in the um, the world of Chinese flavor and, and the, the just this world of super, super high quality ingredients, I knew that that was... That important. was the truth. Yeah. And that was what I wanted to present. And it's as pure of its form as possible. And so I wasn't willing to compromise on anything in terms right. of the craft or the quality of the right. ingredients. And yeah. so that was, you know, um, that that was what drove me to, you know, really sticking to those ideals even despite like co-packers right <laughs> yeah just numerous people kind of like uh at every step of the way telling yeah. me no this can't be done no we we don't want to do it yeah. or you know whatever it, it was and so there was just so many challenges and I know that I'm not alone in this no, like you know yeah. you've experienced it so many other founders have experienced it and I also through that process figured out like this is why there's right. so many mediocre products on yeah. the market yeah and most of the ones that you know are mass produced um you know, by big brands like legacy brands, there's a lot that gets lost along mm -hmm. the way with every compromise you make. Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, and so I knew that if I, you know, you know, stuck to kind of, um, you know, the the standards that I had, that you're automatically going to come up with a unique product yep. that doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a good point, right? Like so many of us, um, you know, who, who quote unquote, I guess, like industrialized our products that we made either, you know, at home or in the cooking school or at a restaurant, um, you know, you get to a co-packer level and they're like, absolutely not, can't be done, don't want to do it. It's going to be this, it's going to be that. And it is really disheartening. But like you said, that's also our superpower, right? Because mm -hmm. if we do make it through and we do figure out and get, get these things done, we've built a, a pretty good moat around mm -hmm. our supply chain and our product, which makes it very hard for other people to replicate it and to, you know, um, you know, I guess, I guess to replicate it. Um, okay, so that was one direction I wanted to go. And the other direction is the brand. You know, I mean, I remember seeing it at Pop-Up Grocer, I guess it was 2019. I don't even know what year it is now. So it was in New York <laughs> at the first Pop-Up Grocer. Mm -hmm. And it was just like a magnet. It was like, you know, these neon colors. And it was, I, you know, it was just, it was like, you just wanted to grab it. Um, though, was that the brand from the Pop-Up? I mean, like, the, I how did you, how did how did the brand come to be and the colors and the vibe and the whole thing yeah so um the branding that you saw at pop up grocer the first time in new york that was the initial branding that we had launched with on our kickstarter mm -hmm. and um it was you know it, it was like 
you know, I think it was um, a great brand system, but maybe yeah. not like fully thoroughly kind of developed and flushed out. Yeah. Um, it was at the time, you know, I had a very simple goal, which was just how do I present a packaging for my sauce that makes someone do a double take mm -hmm. and almost like wonder why they had expected a Chinese food product to look differently because it was different from any other kind of Chinese product on the market. Yeah. Um, and so the goal there was really to almost like to shock and to, yeah. you know, kind of uh, hold up a mirror and kind of like start the first conversation and questioning, you know, the viewer, um, why they had a different, you know, perception, mm -hmm. you know, or like a belief. Um, and so, you know, why can't Chinese food look like, look like that. You know, I took a lot of inspiration from beauty brands. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, why, you know, why can't it be, have a seamless bottle that, you know, didn't look like your average kind of like jam jar or, yep. um, why, why can't it have neon colors? And so, um, that was mainly the point there. And, um, you know, but it as worked. the, <laughs> yeah, I think it, yeah, I think it definitely served that purpose. Um, yeah. <clears throat> But as the brand grew and as I grew and, you know, as our um, mission, uh, you know, got more solidified, mm -hmm. it just, you know, became more clear that we needed something um, more thoughtful in presenting who we were and right. what we were here to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I, I don't know if I mentioned it, but we're going through a refresh right now. People who listen have heard me talk about it because it's, you know, it, it's a, it's a it's a deep process. Um, and you know, I'm not even, it doesn't, it's not even necessarily all that linked. Although I think most brands are linked to the people that found them obviously, but they're, mm -hmm. it's like even us going from like a cooking school that made sauces to no cooking school anymore. And we're out in the world with these sauces. That's a massive sort of shift for the brand identity. Um, mm -hmm. and having to figure out how, how our visual and how the language and how all of it kind of reflects that new thing has been really fascinating, um, and kind of putting all the pieces together, um, which, you know, is a, is a big, um, process, but I want to also get to this piece about identity, um, because, you know, reading the story um, and, you know, you know, the, the way that it's sort of that I've interpreted is that, you know, you did this Kickstarter, you were, you know, doing well, it was bootstrapping people just fell in love from the beginning. Like it really just had this, I think you probably know this, but like, there were just so many people that were just in love from like, hello. And, um, then COVID happened. And I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about sort of COVID, how, you know, xenophobia ended up affecting you and also production. Then I, you know, the New York Times, like it just feels like there was just so much going on for you and the brand. And I'd love to hear mm -hmm. your story here. Yeah. So when COVID happened in China first, it was, um, you know, there's, there was a lot of uncertainty, um, just globally, um, you know, there's started to be a lot of 
anti, you know, Chinese sentiment. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think that's, you know, the attacks against Asians have risen uh, a lot this recently, but um, it started, you know, um, becoming more noticeable uh, back then. And uh, so, yeah, there was a lot of fear in my mind, um, not knowing what, what, um, where we stood, where, where I stood as a person in this Mm -hmm. country, where this brand stood and uh, are people going to, you know, reject us altogether. You know, we started getting racist remarks on our on our socials, That's and um, yeah. also like the uh, just just in terms of global logistics, like our trade relations going to sour. Um, are we going to be hit with huge tariffs? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of these questions, right? And 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 also the factories were shut down for several months in yeah. China, um, but in April. Um, we had a really um, great piece come out about us on in the New York Times. And this mm-hmm. was um, Sam Sifton had uh, been a customer and he reached out because he was curious about what I thought of, of what was going on. Right. And um, so we had a conversation. I had no idea that he was writing a story, um, a, a story like that. And so right. when it came out, it was really crazy I'd never experienced anything like it my phone blew up Um, (laughs) and it was like this long kind of extended thing because first it was like online and then right you know it was like the Monday and it was going to come out in print the following Sunday and so that one week we definitely had a a huge record week that where we did more business than all of the year before that's wild and yeah and it was you know um it was an article about, you know, our, our sauce um, and about how it can really transform so easily anything that you're cooking mm-hmm. at home because we're all having to cook at home now. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, and kind of going into a little bit of, of my story and my mission and uh, the reception was so you know, so overwhelmingly great. Um, It definitely restored a lot of my, um, you know, it made me a lot less fearful about our future. Um, But it did result in us selling out of all of our stock overnight. Mm -hmm. And we had to, um, you know, we immediately tried to place another order. And luckily, um, the timing was such that China was starting to come back to life. And, right. um, you know, I was able to place an order, um, but only if, you know, I, I agreed to um, bottle it in the US because they mm. just didn't have the capacity to do it in China. Mm-hmm. And so that was a whole other saga of having yeah. to scramble to find co packers, bottlers, like all of the pieces of the supply chain right. uh, in the US for this like temporary thing, which at the time we didn't know whether it was going to be temporary, but, right. um, you know, so it was, it was a really, it was a blur. Um, it sounds it exhausting. Also... <laughs> it sound, I gotta tell you, I'm like yeah. exhausted hearing you talk about it. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, and the, the other thing is I was the only full-time employee at the yeah, time. Yeah. That's why. So, Oh um, it was just me yeah. and and one other person who was still just a contractor at the time. She's now part of the full time team, but yeah. at the time it was just it, two of us dealing with like literally hundreds of customer service emails, 
um, you know, so there's so much. And then also at the same time dealing with production and um, logistics. And also at the same time trying to change centuries of false narratives about <laughs> Chinese cuisine. Like that's the, you know, you're like, you're, you're just like, you're fighting on several different levels, you know, mm -hmm, all the stuff mm -hmm. coming at you. And I mean, I guess that's part of my question also. Like I read something that you said and it was, it felt like just like attacks from both sides, right? Like it's what you're putting out there is too expensive, which is the very underhanded way of fully devaluing, right, the food that you're that you're making, because the U.S., as you've said, is used to fully devaluing the food that that you're making. Um, but then this other thing that somehow if it's high end, it isn't authentic and that you're now part of this sort of capitalist, you know, marketing conspiracy thing. It's just I. I guess my question for you is like, how often do you go back and forth in your mind between feeling like your mission here is to, is, is huge, right? And is to sort of change all of these misconceptions. And then the other part of your mind that's like, these jackasses have these misconceptions. I'm just going to make a really good product and like, screw it. Like, I can't, I don't, you know, it's not my job to change your misconceptions. Like, I'm wondering if you have that inner battle kind of and how often you go back and forth kind of in your head about it. Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So I think that when we first launched, it felt definitely like I was constantly fighting somebody right like mm -hmm. whether it was fighting the contract uh the manufacturers to get this product made or fighting against these negative perceptions and just mm -hmm. kind of justifying uh or even like with potential investors right people who yep. you know you talk to and they kind of feel like they have the judge of whether you're going to be successful or not and mm -hmm. it's like you know i can't tell you how many people have told me that there's no future for this business chinese food is too niche nobody you know it's never going to take off like there was constantly this struggle of feeling like um, the lack of acceptance and um, feeling the need for it, right? And so, like, mm -hmm. justifying my my right to mm -hmm. exist and the brand's right to exist. So it was definitely the brand was very intertwined with my personal identity. Um, I think as we kind of, as we took off and as, you know, more and more people embraced us and, um, and uh, embraced these flavors and, um, you know as the brand evolved and you know we we actually came out with this rebrand um mm -hmm. in november of last year that was a lot more uh, a lot less kind of um def you know defending uh, of mm -hmm. our right to exist and a lot more just um you know this is who we are and mm -hmm. this is what we're about and this is what we're here to do and so you you know you can do with that what you want and um, that, you know, came together at the same time as my personal evolution. I know, I was going to just ask you that because that yeah. was so beautifully put. 
And it, it wasn't planned at all. Like I, you know, I had started working on the rebrand um, about a year into launch. And um, so about six months before I came to that personal realization that it was time for me to reclaim my name, mm-hmm. but it, it's, um, it was super organic and it, you know, it just happened. And so in a, in a similar way where I felt like, you know, finally, um, I felt like I didn't need to hide behind mm-hmm. this name, Jenny, or to, you know, try to be something that someone expects me to be mm-hmm. and that I am totally, um, you know, fine, just as I am. And, yeah. and um, the same kind of, you know, I feel like we adopted the same attitude at, at the brand as well. Yeah. And um, so today it's less about, um, you know, trying to change people's perceptions. It's more just, you know, kind of walking to the beat of our own drum and, you know, mm-hmm. be creating space for not just our story to exist, but for more other stories to exist and to just show that, you know, we're not all a monolith mm-hmm. and there's, there's nuance, there's, there's layers, there's complexity and depth to, to everyone's story. And uh, we are just one small part of that and me sharing my story you know it was extremely scary and I you know hadn't shared a lot about myself uh before that point Mm -hmm. um but I realized in doing that that so many people connected to it way beyond just the Asian community yeah and um and and yeah and it was creating this dialogue and and this um space for more to exist and so that's kind of what we're here to do today and you know if we can change someone's mind along the way then that's great um but uh we're really wired yeah 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 Yeah. no that's beautiful i mean i um i feel like a lot of us are always in this sort of space where we're we're trying to figure out who we are and we're trying to justify our right to be where we are or what we're doing. Um, and I think that, you know, you're an amazing model for that. And that's, you know, not to say that that's in any way your job to be a model for it, but you just happen to be. Um, and I think, you know, I love this. There's a quote on your website. I don't think I've read out a quote on the podcast, but I just think it's beautiful. If you don't mind me reading fly by Jing doesn't conform to anyone else's notions of value, taste, tradition It is one person's recipes, one person's vision and one person's story with these products. I'm telling you mine. And it just, you know, it's beautiful. Um, so we have one more minute. Um, I think actually hardly, but what's next? What are you excited about? um, you know, last, last looks. Um, so I'm excited about building, um, this building my team. You know, we are close to 10 people now, which Mm. is a huge jump from (laughs) even just from you exactly exactly (laughs) a year ago. It was just me. And so, um, we've seen tremendous growth. You know, we finished last year at a thousand percent up from the year before and we are, you know, growing so rapidly, um, entering retail this year, those same natural retailers that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had seen, you know, in, 
uh, Expo West in 2018. We are starting to enter some of them this year. So um, awesome. there's there's a lot of growth. And, you know, I think ultimately what, what we want to do is create the... Um, the first household name that is synonymous with the highest quality Chinese food in the world. So that's a huge um, task. And I think we're, you know, really up for it. And, you know, that could take us in directions beyond just um, sauce. Um, yeah. So, yeah, uh, there's some exciting yeah. new product development coming down the pipeline. And I'm really excited to, you know, share it with the world. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I, I mean, I wish you the most luck and I don't think you need it because you've already done so much in such a short time and your whole life seems to have been sort of like geared toward this. Um, so I have absolutely no doubt that you're going to do everything that you guys set your minds to. And, um, I just want to thank you so much for coming on. This has been a challenging week. Um, and I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time to talk with me and um, just, you know, sending you lots of love. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ali. And um, I'm, I was really, you know, happy to share what, what we talked about today. And um, this, this has been a great conversation. So thank you for having me. Amazing. And um, yeah, hope to meet you in person soon. Yeah, me well. too. Amanda, thank you for being um, the best engineer. Sorry, I went a little over. And um, in the sauce listeners, thank you so much, as always, for listening and your uh, DMs and your comments. And I'm glad that you're loving these conversations. Um, and I will be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.